Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, thank you for joining us, and uh, we're going to get started today. We got we're gonna, we got a lot to cover, so we're going to jump right in. Just basically, uh, we are con- continuing to go through the Book of John. Uh, if you uh, have not been with us uh, on some of our prior Bible studies with John, you can go to uh, this same YouTube channel. If you're watching, if you're listening on the podcast channel. Uh, you can go to the YouTube channel, go up to Playlist, and you'll see this Wednesday Bible study, and you'll see the, uh, I think we're on part 11 today, so there's 10 others that you can go through. But we're finding ourselves in the Bible, still in uh, John chapter 6, uh, and we'll kind of recap what we did last week, and for just briefly, and then we'll jump to where we are today. So uh, let's open up in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for uh, uh, the, the words that you have breathed for us to consume today. May we be transformed by it, and may we walk away with exactly what you intended us to take away today. And may there be something today that is prepared for each individual person who's watching, listening, or in this room. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So if you remember last week, uh, we we talked about the the feeding of the 5,000, a very well-known part of history and, and documented in all four of the Gospels, and then John gives us a real brief encounter about Jesus walking on the water. Uh, the other uh, Gospels that cover this, they give us a, a more details than John did. Uh, this is the time when Peter walked out to him, and you know, you see also uh, that Jesus saw that the wind was against them, and there's a lot we can talk about that. He walks out to them. They left, uh, as he instructed them to do, without him from the shore. They were going to the other side. Jesus joins them in the boat, and now the boat has, has come to rest on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So here's where we pick up now in verse 22, uh, and this is, what, this is what's happened, uh, is that the people have realized that nor Jesus or the disciples are, are anywhere near the east bank now. They're not there anymore. Uh, so the people who've been part of the feeding of the 5,000, some of them are still meandering around. It's also going to tell us that, that boats, and, and some of the, the commentaries say that maybe the boats were blown in by the storm that the disciples had just gone through, uh, or maybe they had piloted there to, uh, to, to embark and try to get people to help them try to find the disciples in Jesus. Uh, but how, whatever they're doing there, we know people now got on these boats that had ended up there, and they're now going to the other side, and they're going to go over there where the disciples went because they, they, they haven't had enough yet. They still have more questions. They still want to know more. Now, they're aware that they never saw Jesus come back, and they know the disciples left without Jesus, but they're still going to where the disciples went, and that'll explain some of the, uh, the comments that, that start our verse today. So here's what it says. It says in the Word of God, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples. So they know Jesus, we never saw him get in the boat with them, but we know that the boat went but the disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near uh, the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor the disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And Capernaum during this part of Jesus' ministry is kind of like home base. Uh, I had the, the, the pleasure and the honor of going to Israel in 2009 and, uh, and I went to Capernaum and actually saw the ruins, as we get deeper in this, of the synagogue where they're going to find Jesus, where they believe these are the ruins of that, of that same synagogue where he began to teach uh, what we're going to have today. So in 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now keep in mind, they're calling him Rabbi. So, so we, they, they're already starting to move to, to the fact that they say, we, we think you're a teacher. And what we want to know is, when did you get here? Now, why are they saying that? Well, the Bible just told us they didn't see him get in the boat. And they know that the boat went out with the disciples without Jesus, but then they get to the other side, they get to Capernaum, and it's going to say at some point they end up at the synagogue where, where God, Jesus is going to start talking. And the first question is really just curious, how'd you end up here? And, uh, and, and the thing that, that gets me is that Jesus never answers them. I mean, if you look in 26, Jesus, next thing he says is truly, truly. Now look, when Jesus drops a truly, truly, you need to be paying attention because that's Jesus saying, I'm about to te- I'm, I'm, we're about to talk truth. I'm going to tell you the truth right now, and I'm, I'm going to say truly, and then I'm going to say truly again, and I'm emphasizing that everybody needs to listen to what I'm about to say next. 
First of all, he doesn't even dilly-dally with this high I got over here. You know, you know what he's thinking to himself? He's got to be thinking, and here I am now projecting what I think the Son of, of God and the Son of Man was thinking. But don't you think, But and, and just common sense, just logic, that he's almost annoyed by the question? So y'all saw me feed 5,000 men and about 15,000, 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish, and you think i got to worry about how I got over here? What y'all just saw, of course I can get anywhere I want to go. And so, so I, he didn't even answer that. So he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So he, he wants to clarify real quick. He says, I'm downplaying the miracle. Instead, what I'm going to do is I want to question your motive for seeking me. And this is something that we all need to apply to our lives right out of the gate. What, what If you are pursuing Jesus and you are seeking Jesus, for what reason? If you want Him to do something for you or you want Him to give you something? Uh, you want Him to save you? You want Him to redeem you? You want Him to sanctify you? You want Him to convict you? You want Him to heal you? You want Him to grow? What, what, why are you seeking Him? For what reason? And so He's asking them this. And, and he's, saying, uh, he, he's saying that they want more. They want more signs from him, and he's telling him them, he said, you're seeking me not because you understood what I just did. You're seeking me because I fed you, and you've been intrigued about that, but you're missing the sign that I just showed you had nothing to do with food. What I was trying to show you is you should be seeking me, not what's the next thing I'm going to do. You're just seeking me. Because he's going to explain this in a minute. Now, right now, you know, Jesus always tries to let us figure it out on our own. And you'll see in a minute, he just finally plainly says, let me just try to tell you what I'm trying to tell you. So in 27, look at 27, he says, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. So Jesus now rebukes their purely materialistic notions of the kingdom. He's rebuking, you. if you're going to seek me and you're going to pursue me, then you're going to have to understand exactly what you're doing. If you're pursuing food that is only going to perish, I'm telling you, you need to pursue, pursue food that endures forever. And you know what he's saying is, let me tell you exactly who I am. I'm food that, that endures forever, and God the Father who you know, He has placed His seal of approval on me. Hey, I'm approved by the Father. As a matter of fact, you'll see as we get deeper in this, I narrate for the Father. You know, if you've seen the Father, you mean he's, already, he's already established that he and, the, he and the Father are equal. But he's saying, if you're coming after me, you're going to have to stop laboring and keep seeking food that, that perishes. What you need to do is to completely consume me, which we'll get into in a moment. You need to, to come after me because I am food that will endure uh, forever because what I offer you is eternal life. And I offer you uh, the seal of God the Father. It is on me. So then in 28, what did they say? Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Now this is classic human behavior. They're, they're jumping ahead. Not even, what, what, we do? what do we got to do to get this? Now keep in mind, this is what we keep being shown by Jesus over and over. Here, they miss it again. It's not, it's not focused on the nature of the work, but now what? They're, they need to be focused on the appropriate goal. What, what he's trying to say is, look, stop all this laboring for things that are just going to perish. If you want your labor to not be in vain, your labor needs to be a pursuit of me. I, I, I'm going to accomplish everything that needs to be accomplished. You just need to focus on me. And see, here's what's happened. They had this material notion again of, 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 of a blessing. And what he's saying is, look, and we need to learn this too, material blessings are not worth pursuit. I mean, the, the book of, of, of repentance that, that Solomon lays out in Ecclesiastes is just riddled with this. He, he was pursuing everything that the world had to offer, and he says it's like chasing a vapor. It's over. Jesus is saying if you labor for materialistic goals, you labor in vain. It'll never fulfill you. There's nothing you can ever do to accomplish anything that is equal to me. So don't labor in vain. So let's ask ourselves this question. If you're watching, if you're listening, you're in the room, 
what are the parts of our lives that we would be guilty of laboring in vain? I mean, we spend all this time and all this effort and all this money and all this energy pursuing something that will just be perish. It'll just perish. We labor for it in vain. And he says, if you want to spend time and energy on something, energy spent on the eternal. And I got to tell you, if you can ever make that move in your life, that switch, there's certain things we got to do just being part of the fallen creation. And they're of some value. But don't let those things be, be what sucks all the, all the life out of you. So when you finally get to the parts of, of, of your life that are eternal, you got nothing left. Take those eternal things and place them at the center and just, just flip it. Take the things that are laboring in vain and make them less important than the things that you pursued that are eternal. You don't have to do away with these things of the world that can be fun or they can be okay or they can be enjoyable, but they can't be the center of your life. Because if, if that sucks out all the energy, then when it's time to pursue what's eternal, you got nothing. And you labor what? Like you said, in vain. Remember we said about we get to heaven, work has work is, is not been cursed in and of itself. It's just work that doesn't mean anything. It's part of the curse. So I love this though. So then they say, they want to know what God requires of them, and whatever it is, we'll do it. I mean, Jesus is laughing again. Here, here, here we go again with human beings and this burdensome, what am I supposed to do? Give, give me the formula. Give me the things that I'll accomplish, and what does that mean? So you can say, look at me. Not look to Jesus, who's accomplished the things I can't accomplish. Tell me how to do it, and you know what? Whatever you tell me to do, we're so wonderful, we'll do it. And, and so Jesus is like just getting so frustrated with this. They actually think that they can do it, and they are clueless that it is a gift that has been provided in Jesus. No, it's already done. I, I'm, I'm going to do it. You're not going to do it. You can't do it. Have you not figured that out yet? I'm here to now fulfill, and God is offering you a gift that is eternal in me. And they're going, what do, we, what do we need to do to get it? I'm going to do it, and it's going to be given to you. And, and they can't get this. So then we go to, to, to verse 29. Look at verse 29. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him who He sent. You don't know what to do? Believe in me. Now the kind of belief he's talking about, of course, is, is, is faith. It's a trust, it's an obedience, none of these things to, to earn salvation, but, but this is going to be our response to salvation. He says, there is the work has been done by God, but if you want to know what's required of you, it's faith. That's what's required of you. Romans 3.23, what is, I mean, 3.28, what does Romans 3.28 say? For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. And what they're saying is, give us the rules. Give us the code of conduct, and we'll do it. Think about the young rich ruler. I've done everything. Yeah, but you're still, you, you're still not there. You can't do the perfection. I'm here for perfection. Sell everything you got, because that's your problem. You're, you're still worshiping your possessions. That's what means more to you than God. Sell all that. That's your problem. So deal with that problem and follow me. Well, I've done everything that I was supposed to do. Well, no, you haven't. You can never do enough. To save yourself. So you're, you don't even realize how materialistic you are, young man. This is what's keeping you from truly following me. Sell everything you got and follow me. And he might look into your life and my life and point to something else and say, that's something you're going to have to deal with right there. Until you deal with that, you'll never follow me. So he does say, I'll tell you what's required, and that is faith. And, of course, we've been talking about for years in here that that is a faith of action. So he says, there is going to be a response to this, but I have accomplished it. So let's look at verse 30 and 31. So they said to them, he, I mean, they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Now keep in mind, these people have all seen the feeding of the 5,000. And, and I, I, I read this over and over again, 
And I looked and I looked to try to understand what is going on. And finally, I looked at a commentary by D.A. Carson, and he nailed it. He said, if you read what everything they're saying, you know what they're saying? What you've done so far, you're, you're equal to Moses. Now show us something Moses can't do. Moses got bread brought down from God. So we, now all you are is equal to Moses. So what else? You said you were greater than Moses. So show us something greater. So they want another sign. And so, uh, <laughs> so Jesus says in 32, there's those two words again, say them with me. Truly, truly. Truly, truly. I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. I tell you the truth, you're putting too much attention on Moses when the glory belongs to God. Moses didn't, didn't provide any bread. My father provided the bread that Moses asked for. Moses didn't come up with any of that bread. He didn't rain any of that manna down. My father did, and now my father's done it again, and now he has sent to you again. He's the one that gets the glory, not Moses. And he says, so now again, what he has done, he has sent bread again, and now he's giving you bread from heaven again. But look, look at this shift here. I love this. This is a shift. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives. Oh, we're going present tense. It's not gave. Gives you the true bread from heaven. Present tense. Me. Now my Father's giving you bread right now. That's what y'all talking about. Y'all talking about what happened in the past. Gave. I'm telling you, He's giving bread from heaven again but they will not perish. Remember back to the feeding of the 5,000? What, what, what was the bread that came from manna? Don't accumulate it. Don't keep it because it'll spoil. But when he did the miracle, what he say? Gather up the extra. We're going to keep that too. See that shift? Now it's non-perishable. And so, so he says, look at 33, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So, so what he's saying is, the present tense, I'm now the bread of God. I am the bread of God. Now, why, why is he using this term, and that's important. Remember, he's talking, he's talking here, he said, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. He's saying bread of God because now he's shifting them back to the Old Testament. If you look in Leviticus, write these down. Leviticus 21.6, Leviticus 21.8, Leviticus 21.17, Leviticus 21-22, and then Leviticus 22-25. Here, you see this, this, this phrase he's using, the bread of God. Now he's saying, this in the Old Testament was referring to me. And he's saying, it refers to me who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So here's what he's saying. These are three shifts that Jesus is making from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and they are fantastic. Number one, he says, I'm transitioning that Jesus, me, I provide the bread to the, the, the truth that he is the bread. He's saying, I, Jesus now, I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I was once providing the bread, but we, let me tell you where I'm shifting right now with this. I am the bread. You, you, you saw me provide the bread. I told you my father and I are one. We provided the bread for Moses, but now we're going to shift to a new truth. Not that I'm providing bread. We're shifting to I am the bread. Y'all with me? Everybody still with me? We're doing some heavy lifting, but everybody still with me? So now he says, so that's one shift. Also, which is not going to be very popular at all, Jesus uses the word the world. So now he says, I'm going from providing the bread to being the bread, but now I'm also going to expand the recipients of the bread to not just Jews. Now the recipients include the world. I don't give the bread, I am the bread, and the recipients are not just Jewish people. I'm going to provide this to the world. So, so that's a big one, because when he talks about the world, he, he, he means much more than just Jewish people. He means much more than just men and women. He's saying now, in the new kingdom, there'll be no distinction. 
And we know that Paul emphasized this over and over again. Here there is no, you know, and it goes on and on and on. Your, your ethnicity is not going to matter in the kingdom of God. Number three, the bread of God is the revealer to the one who has narrated God to us. I'm going from giving the bread, I am the bread, I'm expanding the recipients of the bread to, to, to the world, not just to the Jews, and I, the bread of God, I will now be the revealer and I will be the one who now reveals and narrates for God. I, I'm, his, I'm his mouthpiece. The Father and I are one. This is all a really big deal because this, this, is, this, is, this is... He's going back to why he left to begin with. Remember back last week? What, why did Jesus leave? Isn't he the king? And they were going to make him king. Why did he leave? It, they, they wanted the wrong kind of king. So he's got their attention back again, and he's saying, this is why I didn't go along with y'all the other day, because y'all were trying to make me a king that is incorrect. But today, I'm going to sit here and clarify who I am, why I came, and what this all means. And so he's trying to explain this to them. So let's look at, uh, let's look at 34. Verse 34. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Okay, that sounds great. Who does that sound like? Woman at the well. Give me this water. See, that's that first move to try to oversimplify. They, they understood, but they only understand on a very mundane level. Just like the woman at the well. He's trying to show her who he is. And he's trying to show her that he's the living water. And it's easy to have, I mean, he gives a very, very deep depth of what he's talking about. And what does she say? Well, give me this water. Where is it? You know what they say? Where's that bread? We want it. Let's have it always. So they immediately take what he's saying and say, we're going to take it and dumb it down to something that we can grasp, something we want to be done immediately. Give it to us. If this is so, then make it happen. And then Jesus, which I love, for people like me, a C student from Calhoun County, Jesus has finally said, I'm just going to have to tell you straight. Okay, I've tried to give you all a very beautiful, I, I'm back at the Old Testament. I've gone through all this stuff about Moses, and I've gone through all this stuff about the bread of God, and you all look at me and say, well, give it to us, and we want to be able to eat this bread always. So then what does he say in 35? Let me just shoot you straight. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. That's me. I'm talking about me. If y'all haven't got it yet, I'm talking about me. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's kind of taking these two things and now putting them together. Jesus speaks plainly. And here's the thing that he says in, in 34. When they asked about, give us this bread always, what he's saying in 35 Referring back to 34, he's saying, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. You know what he's saying there? You're missing. I don't have to give it again and again. It doesn't have to be given again and again. I always satisfy. I always sustain. You will never hunger. Never. You don't have to say, I receive Jesus. I want, when, this, when, this, when this expires and my battery runs out, I guess I do it again. Jesus, now do it again. Now do it again. Now, does sometimes we need to be filled again and we need to be pursued again and we need to be picked up again? Sure. But we don't have to be giving Jesus over and over and over and over and over again. He said, he said if, if, you, if you truly take me and you truly consume the bread of life, me, you will never hunger again. If you believe in me, you'll never thirst again. Isn't that a wonderful message? You know, that's the reason why you, the way we're supposed to look. And no matter what's going on around us, you know, we're always supposed to have that look of. We belong to Jesus. John 16, 33. In this world, there's going to be tribulation, but when it comes, always be at peace and always have joy in your heart because never forget that I've overcome the world. Rick, this, this is going on. Jesus has overcome it. Well, you don't know this place I'm in right now. Jesus has overcome it. He always provides everything that's needed. It, it, it never, it, there's never a time you go to Jesus and it just doesn't, he didn't have anything for you. Because what he's already done is already more than enough. Then he goes to 36. But I say to you that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. Jesus is never afraid to call us out. You know, he's saying, I hear a lot of talk, and now I'm just going to have to charge you with, I don't believe you really believe. I don't believe you really understand who I am. Let me ask you this. If, he, if Jesus Christ looked into your life and Jesus Christ looked into my life 
and we said all the right things, and we kind of got most of it right, whatever, would he then look into our lives and into our hearts and say, you've seen me, you've talked about me, you've claimed a lot of things, but I've got to be honest with you, I don't think you believe in me. I don't see it. You know, it was the thing that changed my life. When a pastor looked at my life and says, you make a lot of claims, I see no evidence of it. You can't claim to have encountered Jesus and be like you are. That's just not possible. And Jesus says, I've said this to you, and you have seen me, and you've seen this miracle, but you do not believe it. Just as Jesus, if you remember back when we studied John 5, 36 and 38, if you remember, Jesus had charged the citizens of Jerusalem with unbelief. He now charges his fellow Galileans with the same sin. He said, now here I'm in Galilee, i got the same problem. This is the same old thing that I talked about back when John documented it, and we got it down in 5. So now we get into, we're going to really do some heavy lifting here in 37 through 40. Everybody ready? Here we go. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him, hang on to that, should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. He's saying, look, here it is before you. Here's what my Father's doing through me. Here's what's going on. And so he's talking about divine sovereignty and salvation. And look, I want you to know, John writing this, he's not embarrassed of that. He's not hiding from this theme. Uh, he, you know, he, he's not, he doesn't think that human responsibility is mitigated because God is sovereign, that that doesn't exist at all. And I know for some of us out there, because we're, we're, we're human beings, we want this thing and we want God to get himself down into something that we can comprehend. We can't quite figure out how God's sovereignty reigns over uh, human beings being allowed to make choices here and there. And we don't want it to be that way. And by golly, we want it to be one way or the other. And I'm sorry, it just does not appear that the Bible comes down clear on something that you can comprehend. It appears when somebody says, do you believe in God's sovereignty? Yes. Do you believe that God allows people to make choices? Yes. Do you believe that, that God has people and He draws them to them? We're going to hear here today, yes. Do we believe that God reaches out and, and he, he's, he's, doing, he's doing the hard part? Yes. Do I believe that God in the Bible has predestined anybody to hell? No. No. But you see what, because what, what, listen to what Jesus is saying. Just like John, he's fine with God's sovereignty. And you know what? He's also fine with the equal call to faith through the Son. But then he also says, very clear, but then Jesus says, then you look to the Son and believe, and if you do that, you will be preserved, and you will be raised up on the last day. He says, my, my Father is sovereign. My, my Father is sovereign, and all of you who, who take this and you consume me, he, he's going to, that is that, he's making that happen. And if you do, you'll be preserved. And if you do, I'll raise you up on the last day. But you also can't ignore that John says as clear as he can, for this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him. So is somebody making them believe? Apparently not. Apparently Jesus is saying this is, this is action that looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So when, when you look at this, you see, listen, here's an idea. Why don't we just read the Scripture the way it really is? All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will not cast out. Now see, for you to, to think about that, about the, you know, I, I will not cast out, you know, you have to look at that, which that means what? Does that, does that mean that some people are going to be cast out then? So it means that, that, that I will not cast out those who truly belong to me. But does that mean that nobody's going to be cast out? It certainly doesn't mean that. For all these people out there that are talking about that, you know, there's a, there's a lot of theology that's rumbling right now that somehow that just everybody's going to go to heaven no matter what happens. 
Now that's really bad theology and it's certainly not biblical. But, but you look at places like that, it's just like we said before, you know, like in, in Romans chapter 8, you know, there, therefore there's no condemnation for those that have been redeemed, but what's the opposite of that? Well, that means for those who are not redeemed, there is condemnation. I mean, you, you have to be able to look at both sides of this. So look at 41. So they grumble, the Jews grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. We're grumbling about this. Now, we don't know whether this grumbling is the leaders of the group or just the people that are there themselves. And listen to what they say next, 42. They said, it is, is, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? They're grumbling like, wait a minute, he's the, he's the bread that has come down from heaven? Joseph, the carpenter's son? You know what this is? He's back home now. He's in his region. You ever try to go back to your region? Well, now we know what he used to do. Or that's, that's, that's Bill and Ganell's boy. Now, there, this is no indication that Joseph is alive at this time. They're, they're just acknowledging that they know who his parents are. So how can he claim that he is the bread that has come down from heaven? How, how does he now say, I've come down from heaven? And look at 43. Jesus answered them because Jesus knows what's going on. Listen. Do not grumble among yourselves, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written by the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So he's clarifying that you can grumble all you want to, but he's talking about you're not. a lot of you right now are not being drawn to me because the Father is not drawing you to me. But now this drawing that he's talking about, I was reading one of the commentaries, and it was a very brutal, it was a brutal analogy, but I got it. He said the kind of drawing, if you look at the original Greek, that Jesus is talking about here is not the kind of, I'm going to use something a little softer than one of the commentaries I saw, because I don't want to be insensitive about this. This is not a drawing like he reaches out and grabs you and pulls you in like some kind of, like some kind of prisoner. I'm, I'm taking you a hostage. I'm forcing myself on you. The drawing he's talking about is more of a wooing. Almost like those of you that, um, uh, that are married in the room, how you wooed your wife to fall in love with you. You went out and tried to draw her to you, to, to, to gradually do this, to treat her in a way that it, at some point drew her to you. This is the word he's using. It's, it's not God, my father grabs you and pulls you to me. My father draws you. He woos you to me. It's important to know the difference. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Meaning what? Does God draw people to himself? Yes. Why? It's in the Bible. So he certainly does. And, uh, and, and so, but again, it's not going to be by force. And then he talks about in 45, and they will be taught by God. See, remember, there's nothing that Jesus says that, that is not speaking to the audience that he has. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. He's talking about Isaiah 54, 13. Write that down. Isaiah 54, 13. Listen to what Isaiah was saying. All your sons will be taught by the Lord, and great will be your children's peace. See, I, what I love about this, he's, you know what he's saying? Y'all do see y'all standing around me, right? You'll, you do see y'all coming across the sea for me, right? You do see me sitting down and teaching you, right? You're here in God's presence. And God through me is teaching you one-on-one. -on -one. The prophets, they talked about this, and it's here. You're being taught face-to-face -face with God. I narrate for the Father. God has sent me here to take on human flesh, to be the Son of God and the Son of Man at the same time, teaching you just like Isaiah said. Oh, 46. So in 46, listen to what he says next. Not that anyone who has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. He's clarifying. I have been sent by the Father. 
I narrate on behalf of the Father, and you to be taught by God, this is go good, to be taught by God, for this prophecy to be fulfilled, the only way that can happen, because you know that you can't see the Father, because if you do, it'll kill you. So the only way that you could have ever been taught by God, 101, is for you to listen to me. This is the only way this can happen, is to hear from the Son. So the only person that has ever been on this planet that can achieve this prophecy, Jesus talking, is me. And it's happening right now, is what he's saying. Now let's look at 47 and 48. Now this is good, isn't it? Y'all love me? Everybody still with me? We're going to try to cover a lot today. we got time. Truly, truly, there it is again, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And look at 48. I am the bread of life. So he's saying we must believe, but also we have to do so on his terms and by his grace. The, the immediate inheritance and possession in, in, in everyday life, what he's saying is, he's summarizing, I am the bread of life. What he's saying is, now look, I, you, 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 you believe in me, and then you, you, once you believe in me, you trust me, and you obey me, and you, you, you receive this bread of life, and you begin to consume the bread of life. He says, now what's going to happen is your inheritance... To, to, to be with me in the kingdom of God and, and, and God taking possession of your life, it, it's going to be immediate and it's going to be everlasting, meaning now if you will abide in me, the bread of life, you will never hunger from this day forward. If you enter into this relationship with me, I will sustain you always. We, this, it, we're, I'm on, this is going to happen from now on. I'm the bread of life. And look, look, look at 49 and 50. He's going to clarify the difference in what they already believe. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that the one may eat of it and not die. He said, here's the difference between the manna you're talking about and me, the bread of life. I actually sustain eternally the manna that my father gave you in the wilderness did not those people, that bread could not keep them alive eternally. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread that has ultimately come down from heaven. This was preparing your fathers for you to know this so that when I came, I'm the true bread. And I'm the only bread that God has ever sent that's going to give you eternal life. The bread in the wilderness could not do that. I'm greater than Moses. You looking for another sign? How about eternal life? I'm greater than Moses. This is a bigger deal. 51, look what he says about himself. And he said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for, for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, what is he talking about now? He's talking about the crucifixion. I'm the living bread. This bread is my flesh, which I will give. For, for, for the life of the world, Jesus is giving himself. Now, they're going to miss this, and they're going to miss this big, but what he's saying is what's about to happen is I'm going to give myself for you, my flesh on the cross. I'm going to pay the penance for sin. I am the bread. I am the flesh, and you are going to consume the eternal life that I'm about to give you. Now, this gets missed big and causes quite a scene coming up, but listen to this. So now, in 53 and 54, he's going to repeat the truth again about what it looks like to be the Son of Man. First of all, the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? See, they missed it. He meant he was going to take his flesh and he was going to give it for, 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 for mankind to give us eternal life. Now they start talking around and say, hey, we know we're not supposed to eat human flesh. Who's this guy say he's going to give us human flesh? This thing is going off the rails. This, this guy's crazy. Stay with me. Jesus said to them, here comes truly, truly again, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
Jesus is repeating the truth of the Son of Man. Yes, flesh and blood, but on whom God has placed His seal of approval. Does He have flesh and blood? Yes, but He is 100% God as well. And He's clarifying this. The seal of God has been placed on this, this flesh and this blood. And the Son of Man, he's noticing he's using that now, Son of Man speaks of Jesus as the man where God is supremely revealed and the flesh of this Son of Man, in quotes, unlike the flesh of any other man, must be eaten if one is to gain eternal life. Don't miss what's happening here. And it's interesting how Jesus teaches. There's almost like if you miss Jesus' analogy, he'll double down on the analogy. Have you noticed that? Oh, I'm going all in on this now. I'm going to talk about eating flesh and drinking blood now. I've tried to tell you that I'm bread. I've tried to tell you I'm the bread of life. I've tried to tell you that I'm going to give my flesh for all mankind. And y'all are grumbling about this. And you're trying, to, you're trying to talk to me about it. And you're missing the analogy. Instead of pulling back on the analogy, I'm going to double down on the analogy. I'm going to drive this point home. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to separate those away from me that can't handle it. Boy, is that something that we don't see much anymore. You, you, you know what you find every time Jesus has people that say, hey, we'd like, to, we'd like to take you for a test ride. You know what he doesn't do? Make it easier. You're going to see Jesus is going to go from what they think was around 120 followers. He's going to get back down to 12. And they don't even understand it. So when Jesus, when people start saying we're in with you, Jesus doesn't make it easier. That may be why in Matthew 7 that he said the road was wide and easy that leads to destruction, that's where most people are. Now, I guess that's why it says deny yourself and pick up your cross daily. Hey, we want to follow you. Hey, let me tell you what you're getting into. You don't even know what you're asking, James and, Jane, James and John's mama. I want my two sons, I want them to have a place. Of, uh, uh, they're, going to be, they're going to be up there next to you, one on one side, one on the other. He says to, to their mama, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what it's going to be like to follow me. You don't know what it's going to be like to be one of me. I mean, there's a day coming when it's all going to be resolved, but up to that point, you know what it's going to be? It's going to be a narrow gate, and it's going to be hard, and most of y'all won't make it. I think about that all the time. You've heard me say that, some of you that know me a long time. I think men's ministry would be so much more successful, and that's what we're going to do with the men's ministry we're doing here and the men's ministry we're about to launch uh, nationally. You know what we're going to say is the truth. You know what the Bible says? Most of us are not man enough to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is very difficult, and most of us are not mad enough to do it. As you're going to see here, as people begin to fade on him. So he's doubling down, saying this is what's going to happen. Look what he, look what he says next after this. Look at 55. So in verse 55, he says, For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He's talking about the redemption for sin. He's talking about that he's going to give his flesh and he's going, to, he's going to be drain out his blood and the flesh that he pays and the blood that he shed is what's going to give us eternal life. And we must consume that. Now I know there's some people out there that think we literally consume it and I'm sorry, brothers and sisters, you just missed it. You just missed it another way. These people don't want to hear it. You've heard it the wrong way and gone the other way with it. Jesus is clearly talking about the analogy for him about of going to the cross. Look at 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. What? If you abide in me and you take me in, and you bring me into your, into your spirit and my seed abides in you, now you're going to be rolling in the will of the Father just like me. We're going to become one. So here, here's what you have to understand is that when we get into these last parts, Jews and disciples are grumbling. There were other people there that are called disciples, but they're not the original 12. And the odds are that the 12 are grumbling about this because they don't get it. And, and, and they, it's only those who continue in his word are the true disciples. Now, now think about some of the things that, that he says coming up, and I love this when they start talking about it. So let's finish up, 58. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread of the fathers that our fathers ate and died. He's making that point again. Whoever feeds on this bread, talk about himself, will live forever. And I love in 59, John just clarifies where we are. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. I've seen the ruins of the synagogue. 
I've seen it. I, I, I told the kids, and I told Sherry, I said, here's where he, here's where he went down from 100 and something to, to 12, right here. This is where he was teaching it. And look at this next one. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to this? But Jesus, knowing in himself that the disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Now I want you to think about it. We're sitting there. We're with Jesus. He's talking about all the things that, 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 that's going to change in our lives if we truly follow him and we want to be redeemed. And we're just saying, I mean, you're saying the only way to heaven is through you. And I mean, that just seems very exclusive. And, you know, we got to, you said that this right here is, you know, if we love you, we, we have to obey you. And then you said to obey you means these things we should be doing and that these other things are not of you. And I just got to tell you, I, I just don't know that, that, and also he turns and says, hey, y'all got a problem with this? Can you imagine? You, have you got a problem with it? Have you got a problem with I want you to be sexually pure? You got a problem with that? Uh, you got a problem that I want you to forgive people that have, that have done things to you? You got a problem with that? Have you got a problem that I said go out and make disciples? Have you got a problem that I said be holy in all of your conduct? Have you got a problem that I said I don't like drunkenness? Have you got a problem that I don't want you watching porn? Have you got a problem that I'm sick of you lusting after that woman that is not your wife? Uh, have you got a problem when I said be the spiritual leader for your wife? You got a problem with this? That's what he's doing. You don't like my standard? You don't like what's going to be required? You don't like what follow me is going to be like? Listen to 62. Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. You know what he's saying to them? If y'all can't handle this, what are y'all going to do when I get crucified? What are you going to do? What are you going to do when what's ahead for us? I'm preparing for y'all what's coming next. If you can't handle this... What are you going to do with the things that I'm going to do next, including going to the cross? You know, it reminds me of, I remember one time, and, and it's just an analogy. There was a guy that came out for football, and he's a really good guy. And this is not saying one thing or another. This was a great guy. And he was phenomenal in the workouts. Phenomenal. He was a man, he, he like owned us all in the running and in the stadiums and in the weights. And then it came time for contact. And I remember we did our first practice and all we had on was helmets, shoulder pads, and shorts. And this was a different day. This is when no one cared about head injuries. <laughs> this was a different time, which explains a lot of my behavior. <laughs> and we went out for what we considered to be about a 60% practice of real football. And his locker was next to me. And this is not downgrading him because this is just, this is what Jesus is talking about. And I remember him taking his helmet off and he goes, whew, I hope it's not going to be that rough every day. And I said, man, we're we just getting started. This is nothing. Thirsty. We're going to put all the gear on and it's going to be reckless out here. And it's going to be collisions. Today, we're just butting off. This is not real football. Real contact starts Thursday. And you know what he said? I don't think this is for me. And, and that's fine. And you know what I said? I said, you know what? It's not for everybody. What you're going to do for the track team, I certainly can't do. But you can't play this game if you can't handle that. And he went in and respectfully didn't walk off and sneak off. He went and sat down with the coach and said, I wanted to try it. I don't think this is for me. Uh, I don't think I'm cut out for what this is going to require. And he went on to go to the track team and made all county and did a great job. But he couldn't do that because what happened on Tuesday he thought was rough. And what Jesus is saying, no, Thursday is going to be much rougher than this. If y'all can't handle what I'm talking about today, you're not ready for what's next. And, and some of us in this room and some of us that are watching and listening, you haven't been given more responsibility by God because he don't think you can handle it. You think it's already too hard. So how can he give you responsibility? 
because you have to be able to do what would be required. And some of you are afraid to give in because you think he'll allow you to suffer, and you'll think, I think I'd rather him just think I couldn't handle it. That's a very dangerous decision. Some of you are afraid to go all in because you're afraid of what he may ask of you. But you've got to trust it, that whatever he asks of you, you would do it praising his holy name for what he did for you on the cross. It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is no help at all. You know what he says? If you're leaning on the flesh to get this done, you'll never get it done. It better be a spiritual thing because your flesh is going to let you down. As we found out in the garden, didn't we? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. They couldn't be there for him, could they? Because they, their flesh, just too tired, couldn't do it. He said, so you should have been feeding your spirit because the flesh is going to let you down. He said, these words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who, who, uh, those were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. You go up to Jesus. You know what that means? You go to Jesus. I'm just going to use names. Say, say we got a group together. Say it's Rick and say it's uh, Joe and say it's Jeff and say it's, you know, Larry or whatever. And, you know, you walk up to Jesus and say, hey, Jeff and Larry, they're not with us. You know, Jesus would say, yeah, I know. I knew that before you did. I knew they were never going to make it. I'm not surprised at them walking away right now because I know the heart of every man. So if he's looking into your heart, into my heart, is he expecting us to persevere? 65, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. This is why I told you, if the Father doesn't draw you in, if the Father doesn't bring you to me, you're so inept, he's got to get you to me. You probably wouldn't do it on your own. Now, do you have to decide that if you're going to believe in me? Certainly. But you can't get here to that place. My father has to take you there. Because this is a spiritual thing. I love this. 66, it gets very, very emotional for me. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Y'all been looking around lately? Y'all been paying attention? You know what the Bible says about those you see right now that are walking away from the faith? Over things that they should have been taught as children. And we've placed them in positions of leadership because they can sing and play guitar, because they're funny, because they got personality. You know what the Bible says? When those people walk away, they never were one of us. Now, does that mean that none of these people will come back? I can't say that, but I know that some won't. You remember when, when Paul's writing about that? He said, I know you've seen some people falling away. I just want you to know they never were one of us. And Jesus is saying that too. So now he, got, he has all these followers, but what? They wanted to see what was the next thing he was going to do. Not, not they weren't engrossed in who he was. What was he going to do next? What were we going to see next? Is he going to overthrow the Romans? Is he going to restore us back to where we were? Is he going to free us from this bondage? Yeah, from sin he is. No, 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 we don't want bondage from sin. We're, we're righteous. We're the chosen people. We want bondage from the Romans. When they saw the feeding of the 5,000, instead of saying, here is God with us, you know what they were thinking? This will help us overthrow the Romans. This guy's got skills. So after he gives them this hard lesson, many of them, no longer walked with him. And there's no indication that they ever did again, by the way. They no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, as he says to everybody in this room, and everybody watching, and everybody listening, so do you want to leave too? Y'all want to go too? See how the world go turns away from me? See how people keep rejecting their faith, keep saying, I once believed in this garbage, but I just don't believe it anymore. And you know what's so sad of these that are leaving the faith now? You know what they actually say? I'm free now. 
Could anything be more opposite of the truth? No, you're free to give into your flesh, but you ain't free. You're doomed. What they mean is I'm free in the moment to do whatever I want to do. Do you want to go as well? How many Simon Peters we got in here in 68? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where are we going? If we turn away from you, where are we going? But I love the honesty coming up here. You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed. We've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And we're saying, Jesus, we don't really understand all this either, what you said today. But let me tell you what we do know. We want to be with you. You, you have eternal life. We don't understand all this either. And you know what? I don't understand all of it yet. Amen. I'm learning year by year. Yes. Some of you, we're all at different places watching, listening in this room. But I hope that we're all agreeing on one thing. We don't know everything about Jesus, but we do know Jesus. Amen. And we know him well enough that there's nowhere else we want to go. Right. Now, we don't understand every intricate detail of God because I have a finite mind but I know enough about Jesus that I don't want anybody else. Where would we go? I didn't have any hope until him. Has, has life been easy for all of us? No. But think how it would be if we didn't have the hope of Jesus. What if, what if we didn't have that? So I, I, don't, I don't know everything, Jesus. I don't know. Some things you teach are hard. Some things I'm still trying to figure out. But I'll tell you one thing. I don't know where else I'd go. Somebody say amen to that. Jesus said to them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is the devil. Tough day for Judas right there. <laughs> Jesus going again going, you know what he's saying? Look, look who I decided to pick. And I still got a devil in here. I mean, I, I went out there and handpicked the twelve and I still got one I can't trust. Is there one in this room that Jesus can't trust? Is there one out there that Jesus can't trust? If he can't trust you, he already knows it. He already knows it. And I like how John said, in case y'all were talking at the Wednesday Bible study on who Jesus is talking about, I'll tell you in 71. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. I love when John said, before y'all start discussing who he's talking about, I'm just going to tell you who it is. It's Judas. <laughs> Thank you, John. That, I can end on time now. But um, So this is a beautiful picture. I know it was a lot. I know it was a lot. But, but I, I was hoping so much that we could get back down to seven because I couldn't find a place in six where you just walk away. I love that when, when Peter says that, uh, that the teachings they just heard were hard. Do, do you know what he meant by that? He's saying, that he's saying that what you're teaching right now, Jesus, if you look at the word in Greek, I'll leave you with this, because I think it's time for us to understand it can be this way. He said that what you're teaching us is harsh. Not that it's hard to understand or hard to comprehend. What you're saying, Jesus, is harsh. Did, did Jesus ever say to what Peter said? If that says, well, you're right, I probably shouldn't have done that. He, he didn't say that at all. And I love this when he says, this is one of the commentaries I read. It says, those who turn left Jesus because Jesus oh, wasn't who they want him to be. Be, be careful that you try to make Jesus something you want him to be as opposed to him making you something he wants you to be. They left because he wasn't what they wanted. And you see this happen all the time. People turning away from Jesus modern day because Jesus won't be what they want him to be. When really what Jesus is saying, let my father draw you to me and then I'll make you something he wants you to be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this lesson. Thank you for it. It was. It was harsh. 
but it is refining us and it is changing us. And thank you for speaking it so clearly, yet so, so, so deep, but yet so refining. Make us into the people that only you can make us, Jesus. And even when we don't understand you, we hold fast to you because we got nowhere else to go. Thank you for the eternal life found only in you, the bread of life. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies, or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.